On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, we provide you with financial clarity so that you have the tools to live your best life. Listen in as Brent guides you through creative solutions to various financial problems that business professionals, young adults, and retirees commonly face to make their money work. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. If you have not heard the first part of this podcast, this is a two-parter. We're coming back, Brent. You had Sammy in studio. Tell us a little bit about why you brought Sammy on the show the first time, and, and obviously, we're going to be continuing the, the podcast for the second part, but tell the folks why you brought Sammy on. I wanted to bring Sammy back because Sammy is he's my guy for everything Asia. If I want to know what's going on in China, Southeast Asia, Sammy's the guy I call. And I figured my listeners would enjoy hearing from him as much as I do. Yeah. You guys spoke for well over an hour. And one thing that you said after we stopped recording was that you guys could have talked for another two hours and I could have listened for another two hours. It was just fascinating. So we decided to break this into two pieces. This is the second part of your guys's conversation and I'm excited to get into it. Me too. One thing about China is they're very stealthy. They're very quiet. Like, you know, so there are, there are NGOs that work in Bangladesh and these are Chinese NGOs. Obviously you'll, you question them. The reason, uh, my issue with China is this, I have no problem accessing cheap labor and that's part of the free trade. You have something that I need and I have something that you need. But the biggest problem is with the stroke of a pen, they can cancel, mm-hmm. they can restrict, whether it's capital, or your intellectual property, they can violate any space that you, that you can think of with the stroke of a pen. Yeah. So the reason why, I mean, think about like, you know, why Hollywood, NBA, they are bowing down to China. They're uh, terrified of them. They're terrified of them. Yeah. The, the, the only reason is because President Xi tomorrow can cancel their access. Yeah. Done deal. Yeah, you, that, that won't happen in Europe. It won't happen in the US. That's why they're terrified. Building the entire supply chain in a, in a country that has enormous amount of power, authoritarian, is, in my opinion, madness. I mean, we as United States are policymakers. We definitely have to look at other countries where, like, say, even though India is very bureaucratic, I understand that, maybe we can work with them and say that, hey, maybe we can set up some of the supply chain there. Some of the supply chain, we can bring it here. We don't let, just make the business environment more friendly. That's it. Let people trade. Right. You don't need to interfere in the business space. Step out, put in place a safety regulation so that you don't have lead in your like uh, in your paint, yeah. toys are made safely. That's all you have to care about. If it makes sense for us to make it, let it happen. Or even in some cases where maybe from a cost perspective, it doesn't make sense from a national security standpoint, you should still do it. Absolutely. I mean, we should not be getting 5G from China. Do you know that? No way, no way. Why? I hope we're not. Right now we're having tough time trusting our own institution. Yeah. And you're going to have 5G technology coming from a country where there is no private, there's private sector, kind of, (laughs) but 
if they request any info, the Chinese government, you have to submit it. You have to give it to them. Yeah. So from that standpoint, there is no privacy. There is no private sector. These are all quasi private sector. Yeah. Once we know that, there's a hardware component, there's a software component, and you're gonna build an entire network based off of like a Chinese technology, that is terrifying. Yeah, because all the information is going right to Beijing. It, right now, in, in during COVID, they developed the technology, I think they developed prior to COVID, facial recognition technology. Yeah. They just look at your face anywhere, yeah. and they recognize you. They, they can pull your social credibility. Social no, scores. Uh, yeah. Social scores, yeah. just like in you know, a facial recognition. Think about authoritarian regime with that type of mindset. Their advantage is they can develop technologies and deploy it and get better at it. Whereas us, we, we can't deploy that kind of technology. You may have it, but you can't deploy it. There's a certain degree of pushback, which is, I would, I would argue that we're getting a little more authoritarian in our own right here in the United States, but there's a certain degree of pushback that we're still very fortunate to have. What do you think Speaking of that, just looking internally back in China, why are they cracking down so much on their own country, on their own companies? Because if you look at, we're, we have not been investors in Chinese stocks, generally speaking. Full disclosure, from a personal basis, I've bought Baba, Alibaba a couple of times and I've always sold it for a loss. Just right. My personal account's never worked. <laughs> for a couple of years, I've been trying to buy this stock and it's never worked for me, which glad I haven't done it for clients. But why are they cracking down their own companies? You have these enormously successful companies. I mean, Alibaba is, it dwarfs Amazon in certain, in certain spaces. Right. Why, why is the government over there seeing fit to, to really go after, at the stroke of a pen, the, some of their leading companies? I don't know what's in their mind, but any authoritarian regime, they're always constantly terrified. They, they, they are, China spends, I think, upwards of $200 billion in their internal security apparatus yeah i mean that is largely unknown I mean, 200 billion 200 for internal. billion internal security internal enforcement so that would be more than their military budget that's uh, i it? think they're spending about 250 in their military okay we can look that up so internal security internal is almost internal security wow, is almost as much as their military think about how paranoid they are yeah so now you have this rising star jack ma like you know revered by the west the east uh, in China, do we know where he went? Because he disappeared for a couple just months. Just go. Yeah, it's he's, okay. We can take good uh, care of you, Jack. <laughs> bye, bye, Jack. I mean, th this he's is back. Really... But people thought he was dead. I mean, this would be like this would be like Jobs. Yeah, he's back. He's back. He's back. Yeah. Oh wow. This would be like Steve Jobs disappearing for three or four months, right? And no one knowing where he right. went back when he was still right. alive. Right. And this is not the first or time. Bill Gates or oh, you know, right. or Elon Musk exactly. or something. It's the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, he's back. It's. Uh, yeah. I mean. They will tell you when you're crossing the line. Right. And I think nobody is immune. So can, can a society, like I look at, I'm a sci-fi fan. Right. You know, love Star Trek. My right. wife and my kids go to bed. I stay up and watch episodes of Star right. Trek. When I think of China, I've been there once. It was mm -hmm. a while back. I was, I was staggered by what I saw in terms of the development growth that they've had. But I view them as the Borg. And mm -hmm. for the, those Star Trek fans from the next generation, it's basically right. this monolithic, almost this giant single mind thing that comes right. and just eats everything in its path and assimilates right. it. And that's kind of how I view China. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think that, is, that an, is that an apt analogy? And I could be very wrong with this, but there doesn't seem to be any there's no underpinning moral code. It's almost like an amoral machine that just seeks to grow and grow and grow and get more and more powerful. 
that's scary. Yeah, like you know, that, that, is that, that accurate or no? Well, well, yeah, I mean, you've done business over there. I haven't. Okay, so when you go to China, you land. If like say if the like you take a trip, the first thing you have is it's called dopamine effect. Probably you land and you see these massive buildings. Yeah, unbelievable. Even years ago when I was there, it was shocking. Right. And in shocking. Shanghai, I was like, whoa. Yeah, you, well, the you US go from New York. Something here. Yeah, you go yeah. from New York You're or from LA. JFK, which is right. like a, it's, it's like I a mean, exactly. awful place. Awful and you place. land all of a sudden this gleaming new airport. Right. You would think, oh, that's a third. I, what is this? Yeah. So now that basically sometimes that could lead you not to ask questions. Like say when my dad and mom went and it was sponsored by the Chinese government, well, it was an NGO. They didn't know. They took a lot of influential people from Bangladesh and that they're very good at it. And they will take them. They will show them the best hotels. They will keep them in the best hotels. They will show them the best possible food. They'll take you to a different site. They're very, very, they will take you to like, you know, they will take care of you. Yeah. For example, when they do that and then they're showing you these buildings and this infrastructure, this road, and all of a sudden you're like, no. China is the next next United States. This right. will be the next giant. It is China. I have an uncle who owns a massive apparel factory. Yeah. So he, he imports a lot of like machineries from China and he's a China fanatic. Yeah. Why is he a China fanatic? So I used to ask him, so I had a conversation with him. I'm like, what is it about China that fascinates you? I'm like, look at their infrastructure. Look at what they built. Shanghai used to be like this. We all appreciate the fact that they brought 800 million people out of poverty. Fantastic. No other civilization has ever done that. With a huge assist from the United States against Absolute, our best interests, I absolutely. think, by the way. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you park your money there? That's the thing is because again, there's no, you've got to have, and this is why, this is why I'm kind of dumbfounded by what's happening with them cracking down their, right. their biggest companies. Because the way that most people don't realize it, when I bought shares of Alibaba, for example, I didn't mm -hmm. buy shares of Alibaba. I bought, I basically have an agreement with a holding company in the Cayman Islands that has an agreement to share profits with Alibaba. Right. It's not a real stock. Exactly. And at what point then could the Chinese government say, yeah, you know, you can't, you can't do that anymore. And right. then as, a, as an outside investor, you're out of luck. Um, and I don't, I've been thinking a lot about that because I've been looking at, because I'm trying to look at markets that I think are undervalued. Right. And, and sometimes, there's a re, there's, most of the time, there's a really good reason they're undervalued. But, but sometimes there's, there's, there can be opportunities there. And if you look at what's going on in China, really in the last you know, eight, 10 months or so, I mean, these mar their, their equity market has been pummeled. Mm -hmm. And it's just a complete lack of faith in that system. And, and they're doing it to themselves largely. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering why, except for the fact that they are, as a country, ready to even maybe step it up and be more authoritarian. I mean, as obviously Hong Kong went without a whimper. I mean, at least from the West, right. the West didn't care. Right. You know, all, all that that whole treaty was violated. Right. And now it's sorry, right. guys. Right. <laughs> you know, and and so I wonder, I wonder, what are they gearing up for? Are they gearing? Are they are they trying to get the, the population completely in line? They're also doing a lot of things. Culturally, they're making big changes in their own personal culture where they're looking at online gaming, for example. And I, I'd heard this and this staggered me is your average Chinese person spends about 60% more time mm -hmm. playing online games in the United States, right. which I thought was interesting. They're calling it spiritual opium. Right. You know, harkening back to the opium wars, the, the Brits and everything that occurred, you know, 120, 30 years ago, so, right. and that, which is like a, a moral catastrophe for them. And they're also looking at um, you know, trying to reduce 
feminine influences in their military. It's like they're doing a lot of things. They're almost getting themselves on a different footing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I wonder where they're going with that. Is, so, is it that they're is it that their feet are under them now, and and they have they have a huge degree of confidence, or are there big cracks that are occurring, and they're trying to put their fingers in the dike? I think that's that's uh, that's an excellent point, President Xi. Am I pronouncing it correctly? I think Xi, so, yeah. President Xi. Mm -hmm. He declared, like you know, his policy moving forward would be uh, common prosperity. We heard that before from. Clinton administration, right? Hillary Clinton, common prosperity. So moving forward, that's what they would do. So it's not your company profit margin, it is common prosperity. Right. So you have to operate. Now what they're doing is they are promoting common prosperity, business model with common prosperity, rather than like, you know, pure capitalism, right? Like, you know, pure profit. I think they had a fantastic run. They showed the world what they can do with a quasi capitalism they allowed a little bit of quasi-capitalism and then it, it, it flourished right. so in a sense u.s system works right it does work they know that but at the same time it the byproduct of that is it becomes a threat to the regime because as private sector is accumulating enormous amount of wealth and that's why they keep Jack Ma or other billionaires in check because Jack Ma wasn't the only one. There, there are others. That's why they keep them in check. So they let them know that you can't cross the line. And once you do, we will come on hard. I forgot the name of the party sheets, uh, the opposition party within the CCP. They were more pro real estate. The government officials are were involved in real estate and I think there was a massive corruption involving real estate deals. So that's what she is trying to clean up right now. I think that's what's going on right now. And also internal threat, definitely hands down. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and you wonder, are they looking, they're looking across the streets of Taiwan now and saying, right. what do you think? What do you think of that? That is just terrifying. Yeah. It is terrifying. It's, it's, it's just unfortunate what they did to Hong Kong. Yeah, they used Hong Kong as a conduit, like you know, as you said, when you buy stock of Alibaba, what they do is whether, it, it, like, we have a special relation with Hong Kong, yep. United States. We did. A, we did <laughs> yeah. right until exactly. Yeah. That's what they used. So they used Hong Kong as a conduit to siphon all the money. So you're listing companies in the New York Stock Exchange. You're raising hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're taking the money through Hong Kong to Shanghai. Yeah. I mean, how much, like a trillion dollar or upwards of $1 trillion, they siphoned it out. Yeah. Uh, th that's amazing. Yes, I mean, it is, it is a shame what happened over, over in Hong Kong. And, and I wonder, I mean, you know, back to Taiwan, what, because I view, again, I'm looking at this first as a person that loves history and loves geopolitics and everything else, right. but I'm also like, what is, because from an investing standpoint, I always worry about what's that thing that could happen that I don't know about. Because if you talk to me the tail end of 2019 and you said, moving into 2020, what are your biggest concerns? A global pandemic that lasted almost two years was not anywhere on that list, but yet right. it happened. My antenna is always up for what are those things that can really derail the global economy or make things really weird or really bad fast? Uh, having, again, having been someone that was four blocks away from downtown September 11th, I mean, things happen out of the blue. I think of Taiwan, and if I were China, given, given again, I don't want to get political here, but, but given how we left Afghanistan, 
And if I'm Russia, I mean, it's a whole other whole other podcast. <laughs> but if I'm Russia, I'm going to Ukraine tomorrow. And if I'm China, I'm going to Taiwan tomorrow. Right. Like, what are you going to do about it? You know. Right. But if that happens, then now now we are drug into not this this intellectual economic. Un, I'll call it a cold war at this point. I do want to talk about AI, so we're going to get there. But a hot war with China is not a good thing for either side. But it's really not a good thing for the global economy. Do you think that? As someone, you're you know, geographically, Bangladesh is pretty far from Taiwan, right. but you're still more in that part of the world. Right. Is that a possibility that, that that a war could break out in the Straits? And who knows? But it, I'm asking it, your opinion. It, exactly. Yeah. I mean, China recently they sent what 56 fighter jets. They are building sea denial capability now to U.S. carriers, which is what basically they don't have a blue water navy because yeah. they don't have institutions to. They don't have command control. Command, command and control. control. Yeah. Uh, but what they are trying to do is, I'm not going to let you in to southern South China Sea. South China Sea. I'm sorry, I just blacked out for a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not going to let you into South China Sea. I'm going to make it difficult for you. So they built islands. Then they coerced Vietnam, Philippines, and then they claimed the entire area. It's it's mine, uh, all mine. That's just amazing. That's terrifying. It's a, uh, Taiwan is a democracy, long been an ally of the United States, I mean, unofficially, mm-hmm. and taken over by China. I mean, w- we've already seen what they did to Hong Kong, and that's exactly what happened to Taiwan. That would be, and if US gets involved militarily, if there's a military engagement, and we all know it will be an Armageddon. Yeah. The, there is the two nuclear power uh, nation, but even if, even if the things you know, if you had a, <laughs> we're getting very apocalyptic here. Right. But even I don't know that it would go nuclear. I think you, you, the, the next generation of any sort of a global warfare, you, you may have. You know, there's, there's obviously going to be there's going to be damage, but it's going to be different in the sense that I mean, what would a cyber attack do if you shut down the electricity grid? Right. Both ways, not just for the United right. States, but you know, right. it's it's that electronic warfare that you could really right. really mess right. things up. See what. China is doing right now, especially in the space. So we're building satellites. We're building like, you know, spacecraft. They're building satellites as well, but they're primarily focusing how to destroy the satellites. So, hey, I may not be able to build sophisticated satellite like the United States. I may not be able to do that, but if I have the best technology to knock it down. Yeah, you've lost your eyes and your ears. That's it, yeah. exactly. And that's what exactly what they're doing. And that's the reason why Trump administration wanted the Space Force. And that was the primary reason, because to address a specific threat, and the threat is not only to build better satellites, better spacecraft, but also to address that threat. Yeah. Yes, I mean, TSMC. So they moved their fab, one of the- Taiwan Semiconductor you're talking about, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, here in Arizona. Yeah. Fantastic news, all excited about it. Why did they move it here? Not a conspiracy theory, just, just asking, like, you know, because yeah. stuff like that, you will never know by reading papers or literatures, but question is why. Yeah. I'm sure we welcome them. It's, it's, it's exciting that they moved here, but it's a question, like, you know, why not in Vietnam? Right. Why not in India? Or what did you see in the United States? Is it to protect the wealth? I mean, that's a massive company. Huge, uh, yeah. huge company, and they have a lot of intellectual know-how. They manufacture what seven nanometer or five nanometer, like a 
chip now, whereas Intel is doing like nine or 10. Yeah. They're in that space and they decided to come here. Yes, when I see that, it, 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 it is scary because I would like more democracy to flourish. And then China is probably one of the largest, I mean, one of the biggest threat we have now, geopolitical threat. Do you think that the US takes it seriously enough? <sighs> that's, that's a broad I, question because right. the answer is who in the US, but. Exactly. I but mean, do you think as a, from a policy standpoint, we, we, we continually talk about China as being a, a, a competitor. Right. As opposed to an adversary. And I think if we don't look at them as an adversary and a competitor, you're crazy. Because they're absolutely, some of your greatest competitors are also adversaries as well. Right. Absolutely. Because if you look at the advantage they have and where we can play in that space is they can come to, like, say, our institutions or medical institutions or academia and they, they can fund it. And these institutions are, like, you know, yearning for money. Yeah. They, they need the capital. They can fund like, you know, any think tanks. They are funding the NBA. They're financing our movies. Yeah. And we are censoring movies b- b- because we're making movies and censoring, like shaping the message based on how they would like it. Yeah. It's happening in front of our eyes. Yeah. So they have that access. We don't. We are open. It does open. not go two ways. Right. Yeah. We are open, they're not. That's the advantage they have. Now, we don't want to shut down, but at the same time, if it is a threat, then we have to see that as a threat. And we, our policymakers, they have to figure out how they're going to address the threat. At least the Trump administration came out, identified it. Right. And that's how we knew there's so many things came out. We didn't know that, that they were funding so many things here in the United States. That is definitely scary because when you're an author, authoritarian regime, I just don't trust you. It doesn't matter how much money you give me, what you give it to me, you always have a self-interest. We all have self-interest, but in this particular case, it is a little bit scary. Yeah. So segue into that, uh, I, was, I was listening to an interview um, about a week or so ago with Sergey Brin, uh, one of the Google founders. And he was talking about artificial intelligence. Right. And that was an area where we still still have the lead globally in that space, but we're right. falling, falling behind research and patents. And China now has more research and patents right. than we do in that space. Right. And listening to him talk, and the you know, guy was one of the guys that started Google, I think right. he knows what he's talking about. But he, he was talking about the different ways that the AI that'll be coming on they think in five or 10 years, he thinks possibly sooner is going to be radically infiltrate all areas of our life where it becomes, it becomes so much more integrated with your life and, and that you're almost living in this world where you're surrounded by this artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, this sort of AI arms race that we have with China, um, do you have any thoughts on, I mean, to me that would say that we need to be a little more careful about sharing technology. What do you, would you see anything happening in, in, in that space? And then th- think about it. We talked about when China develops a technology, they can deploy it. Yeah. But here in the United States, we care about our back. civil liberty. Yeah. yeah. Because of the civil liberty. So mm-hmm. you have to pass that test. Right. So that's a scary thing because they can develop it, deploy it, get the feedback perfected we cannot keep up with that. That's one, one part. Second thing is I think AI, application of AI in medical, was absolutely amazing. Amazing, yeah. amazing. 
a space. There are other areas, maybe in finance, maybe in supply chain, but we have to be careful how far we push it because I'm a big civil liberty guy. Yeah. Although we have, we don't have civil privacy anymore, but nevertheless, as long as policymakers are serious about that, then I have, I have no issues with it. They just, just have to see exactly the deployment of AI in which space and in what capacity. Other than that, like, you know, I'll leave it up to Elon Musk whether <laughs> I will have consciousness right. someday. But I think of it when you look at the future of almost every single industry, I think you're going to have AI embedded in that. I know for sure in, in, our, in this industry in finance, we absolutely will to a far greater extent even than you have right now. And who is who's leading in that space, I think is gonna have incredible, enormous power. Oh, definitely. Um, because th it's the data that you're pulling from these systems that, I mean, you imagine thousands, and thousands, forget it, billions mm -hmm. of eyes and ears you right. know, on the ground in, in any given country. So I think that's important. Let's, let's talk about COVID real quick. I know sure. we're bouncing you all around, around Asia here. Oh, Actually, before we get to COVID, I wanna talk, so we've, we spent a ton of time here talking about China. Great. How, how is, and I, I view perhaps wrong, so tell me if I'm wrong, but I view in, or Bangladesh as being in the middle, kind of looking at what's going on up north in China, being like, okay. But if you're India, you've also got to be like, whoa. We've got, it's almost like if you're France and all of a sudden you have an emerging Germany before World War I, for mm -hmm. example. What, what is, does India, is, does India view China as the same threat that you and I have discussed here? Yes, definitely. They, they share a border. Yeah, and there's border skirmishes yeah, that they, occur right, up north there like, sometimes. You know, right, absolutely. That is also scary. I think China is far more efficient in terms of, you want to talk about the military aspect or like, you know, where, where would you like to go with Everything, because I think there's so many Yeah, there's so many areas. Uh, right. I, I think from my perspective, because the more I look at, at what's happening over there, the more I think, again, and I mentioned this before, I think what we're, what we're focused on externally as, as, as a country, um, I think we should be more focused on what's happening in that part of the world. Okay. I mean, no question about it. And I'm just wondering if, if India is, are they sleeping well at night knowing that you're getting this, this enormously accelerate, this enormous competitor that, that's getting better on an accelerated basis. Right. Okay. So let me answer it this way, just a little bit of historical context on how Indian bureaucracy works. So we talked about like a license Raj, like, right. you know, so series of permits and like, you know, licenses that required to start a business. That is the culture in India. Now, what happened is they want to be export oriented country. So they want to export, they want to pull people out of poverty. So when you want to export, you cannot become an export giant without importing anything. So let me give you an example. India is, I think, one of the largest hair exporter. Okay. The, one of like the wigs, you're talking wigs, about hair. Wigs for okay. mannequins and like, you know, yes, okay. hair extensions. Because I think in the temple, they have a sacrificial ritual, like in a way they cut hair. That culture basically contributed to, they have supplies, yeah. like in large supplies. So that industry grew and they're exporting. Yeah. And guess what? They have, their culture is they discourage import, right? right? Now hair industry needs the glue, it's called keratin glue, which needs to be imported either from Italy or from China, if you wanna make the hair high value added. And that's how the Italian or uh, Europe wants, United States wants. When they try to import it, they are subject to the same exact 
barriers, right. import barriers by Indian customs. So that's frustrating for local entrepreneurs so they can grow as fast. So when they can grow as fast, here's the problem. If you look at Indian workforce, 87% in agriculture, self-employed or casual labor. Casual labor is just you go work and you get paid right. day by day, like, you know. So only 10% salaried people, 10%. 10%. So if you want to expand that base, you have to let company expand, companies right. expand. So this type of import barrier, it's not letting India go where they should be because it's a blanketed approach. We will discourage import all across period. the world, period. Whether we can take that import and add a ton of value right. and then resell it. Right. Now the companies are saying, hey, I can sell this high value added. I can add 10 salaried people, but I can't do that because of that. You cannot become an exporting giant without importing anything. Yeah. And I do not like that aspect of Indian culture. It's run by the bureaucrats. They're very, very backward, inward looking. And they do that to United States. That's why Trump administration, despite President Modi through a massive party, I think three days later, he imposed 25% tariff. Fantastic. And then now they're trying to unwind what's been a cultural problem for the last 50 years, like you know, it took. That was the one thing, I've been over there three times to India, and, and that's the one thing that staggered me, is like you go into a hotel there, mm -hmm. and you're filling out more paperwork, at least than you were, right. than you are if you're like buying a house here. Right. <laughs> you talk about right. the stamps and this and that, and every, right. all the paperwork that you have, it's, it's pretty incredible. And one, one more point, like, yeah. you know, how that affects India's military, and this is also very, very important. So. India just acquired 36 Rafale fighter jets from France. And they're into modernization program. We will modernize our military. But the problem is when things are run by the bureaucrats and this is what happens, you buy, you need fighter jets, you bought Rafale, fantastic. Now your Rafale cannot talk to your outdated yeah. submarines or your Russian missile battery. Right. It's all running different systems. It's all running different systems. It's Linux and Macs and Windows. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So who are you fooling? Yeah. So if China is not doing that, so think about it, China will crush you. Yeah. If you're talking, so what India does, they talk, if anybody's listening, I mean, nothing against India. I love the Indians. The only thing is you're supposed to fool others, yeah. but don't fool yourself. When you right. fool yourself, you get a bad product. When you say that you have better technology than F-22, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. You, you have better technology than F-35s, you're fooling yourself. I love when people are ambitious, they have a goal, that's fantastic, but just hyperbolic statement like that doesn't help. By the bureaucrats, by right. the engineers. Now, do you think in terms of with, with India, because you look at China, relatively speaking, you know, it, what is, it's not a monolithic civilization. There's obviously several different subgroups within that nation, but India, was there 80 languages spoken in India? It, it's really an amalgamation. 16 or 17 major. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah of, a, of a lot of, a lot of different right. people. Right. And is that, is that, does that s slow down perhaps getting more of a national unity? I think that is the struggle right now. That's a very good point. They're trying to unify, like, you know, how do you unify people? under common values. I think that's what they're struggling. And they have a lot of internal 
internal problems that we don't usually see. I talked to an ambassador, I cannot name him, but he sort of alluded, they do have internal problems that usually people don't see, which is cultural or it's related to language. Yeah. So you have Southern people, Southern Indians versus Northern Indians. Northerns are, I think, a little bit more sophisticated, more like and have more power. Southerns are more smart. So Google CEO, uh, Sundar Pachai, like, you know, he's from uh, Southern part of India. Let me ask you, I'm gonna put you on the spot with this. So you, your answer can be, I don't know. <laughs> sure. But if you were taking dollars, and I'm not talking about equity markets or, or, or debt markets, but if you're taking dollars and investing specifically in a country, would it be India, China, or would it be Bangladesh? Interesting. I, Let's I take Bangladesh out of the loop because you're already invested in Bangladesh right, and that's, right. that's, that's home base. Right. India or China? I would look at definitely India. More than, because you More feel than. like despite the bureaucracy, despite, right. the, despite the difficulty in getting things done, you feel like your capital in the long term is going to be safer. Relative to China, yes. Yeah. That's my opinion. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, China can tomorrow change their culture and say that, hey, like, you know, oh, yeah, you want the money back, but they can reverse it right away. So it, India, it is like harder. I mean, at least they have a, it's bureaucratic, but they have a court system, independent court. They do have rule of law. Right. So, yes, definitely India. Interesting. Now, I mean, China, to your point, I think, didn't they just, all of their for-profit education systems, the tutoring systems and everything, was a couple of weeks ago. The Chinese government, a lot of people invested a lot of money in these companies, right. had basically a blanket statement that now they're all nonprofit. And if you were investing in those companies, well, sorry, <laughs> you know, you're out of luck. India, yeah. India sort of did that in the, uh, not in the education space, yeah. but in the import space. Okay. Overnight, you can't you can bring any generators. Yeah. So now you're a telecom company or if you're a hospital, you need backup generator. Now you can't import. Yeah. Inward looking culture, like, you know, when you develop that culture, I mean, I think in the long run, it doesn't help you right. as a nation. No. This has been an awesome conversation, Sam. I, I want to take some time to, to dive into COVID response, but um, we're running out of time. So we're, we're going to let that one pass today. My last question for you is going to be this. What should... Americans, both as just citizens in this country and also as investors, what is the number one pearl to the emerging world, particularly China and Southeast Asia? And what is the number one opportunity that you see? That's interesting. I'm not an expert in this particular field, but the opportunity in terms of, okay, so let's think about the Bitcoin in 2009. People took a chance. People played long-term, like people who did. It yep. turned out fantastic. Yep. I mean, you don't have to spend all your money. Bangladesh, I'm not too sure about China. Like, yep. you know, right now I have. But India, Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a frontier market. India is an emerging market. These are exciting markets. Yeah. Yes, they have structural issues and all that, but they're like Bitcoins in 2009. Yeah, that's an interesting Play. analogy. Play. Yeah. Know your risk tolerance. Yeah. Put money in. Go long term. Yeah. Like, you know, three to five years, you get a fantastic return. I mean, there are rich people in Bangladesh and India, they're playing the market. Oh, hundred percent. For sure. So if you're a value investor, if you're a, like an all want to be safe, understandable, but if you're a young entrepreneur or young investor or a fund, take a chance. And the last, the last two quick questions for you is one, the, the biggest reason we, we, we talked a lot about some tough conversations about China and authoritarianism and everything that's happening in that part of the world. But what is your, your number one reason for optimism 
and, and that's gonna be my last question. My first question is, from a non-investing standpoint, what don't Americans know about what's happening in that part of the world right now? What's the one thing that they don't know that they should? That's an interesting question. That they should know that right now there's a there's a tension between China and the United States. Yeah. Okay. So what does that do? We learned in an authoritarian regime what happens. Now the supply chain is basically moving out of China. So we're seeing that yeah. happening. Apple just moved to India. Foxconn. Foxconn moved to Fo India. Oh yeah. Foxconn I had is no idea. I did not know that. Exactly. Well wow. look it up. Now Bangladesh can take a piece of that as well if they play their game right. Yeah. We're building like exciting export processing zone. We're inviting Mercedes, we're inviting companies like BMW to assemble their cars. So this is what's happening. There are development that's happening. Yes, there are corruption, there are like you know, other issues, but at the same time, you have India, it's growing at the rate of like a 6.8%. Yeah. Bangladesh at the rate of 7%, yeah. like a $300 billion GDP. They will hit, I think in the next three, four years, five, uh, half a trillion dollar GDP. Yeah. So these are, these are opportunities. And also I think that, you know, as Americans, the one thing that we have this miraculous machine in our hands in the form of an iPhone or whatever, and you don't realize that the, the amount that, that most of what's happening to put that in your hand is not happening in the US, it's happening right. outside of the world. Right. And last question for you, Sammy, is uh, what are you most optimistic about for the future? Now that we've, we didn't touch on COVID today, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad we didn't touch on COVID. No, I'm, yeah. I'm covid it out. covid it out. Um, <laughs> what, are you, what are you most optimistic about for in, in the future for that part of the world or, or just or for yourself in general, we'll leave it at that. What are you most excited about coming into 2022? We have a brokerage firm and we have about 205 employees there. And just seeing the company grow from two employees to 205 right now, and then how the market is growing and how the infrastructure build up, people coming out of poverty, people have the money to spend. It creates a new opportunity for the West and for people in Bangladesh. Yeah. So that is absolutely exciting. Opportunities in medical, I mean, just name it. Yeah. Tourism, medical, telecommunication. Like and if you're a telecommunication company, you wanna be there, that's a space. Internet. Yeah, I'll leave it with this. I think that, and, and I say this, that despite how challenging some of the conversations have been over the last year and a half, specifically around right. COVID and other things and, and some economic disruptions that we've had, there is, if, if we get this right <laughs> as, as a country, as a people, as a species, th the amount of opportunity moving forward is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. And so we talked a lot about some of the challenges and, and some of the dangers of what's happening in that part of the world. And I think it's, it's vitally important that we recognize those. But again, fundamentally, the business, at least that I am in, this is an, op this is an op optimistic business. It's a business based on the belief that human beings will create, they're gonna develop things, that the future is gonna be better than the past. And um, anyway, Sammy, thank you so much for, for just sharing your thoughts with me. And I, I know I'm gonna have you back at some point in the future, because there's like 50 other topics that we did not discuss. <laughs> oh, there's so many. And we, I, I thought we were, we're gonna be one podcast and we ended up having you, and, having you in for two. And I'll get better, I promise. No, it was awesome. Thank you very much. No, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Eric.
gentlemen, this this has been fantastic. What a wealth of information you are, Sammy. So thank you so much for coming back for the second podcast. I'm so glad you were here to join us. Brent, of course, thank you for bringing him on the show. Uh, and our last thank you is always for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe down button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available.